Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Adam, thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited about this because I haven't. I met you not that long ago, and I, I felt like it was this tsunami of energy, um, <laughs> in in a world that really needs a tsunami of energy, but not just energy. Some really good pragmatism and and knowledge about what it takes to make money in a startup food company. So I'm super excited that you're here to talk with us today. I'm proof that you can channel ADHD. Uh. Oh, okay, (laughs) cool. So why don't you start by um, telling telling us um, just something about your background and what you're doing now? Uh, Well, my name is Adam Heen. Um, I grew up in Door County, Wisconsin. Uh, My grandparents had the third oldest orchard in the state. Uh, and I still have family that have orchards up there. Where? What part of Door County? Uh, my grandparents were just north of Surgeon Bay. I have an uncle who is on just, the Bay side, or yep, on the Bay side. Okay. Um, if you're driving north, uh, going up the highway, and you see the radio towers off on the bluff to the uh, to the left as you're heading towards uh, towards Carlsville, that's where they are. Okay. Um, so, my, and I have an uncle who's up around Carlsville area as well with a, mm. with orchards. So we've got. Strawberries, cherries, all that stuff. So I grew up picking fruit. Um, so I'm I'm one of the few people in the world that really does not like cherries because I have too many memories of cherry juice running down my arms oh, and hot, sweaty days. Right, <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, my parents had a dairy farm. My my grandparents had orchards, and uh, I grew up around those. Grew up cooking in my grandma's kitchen as a little kid, and kind of been around food ever since. Went to school for uh, for computer science and for uh, political science and economics, and was cooking on the weekends, and realized that I really enjoyed being in restaurants more than I liked that. So, went back and was a chef for years, and ran multiple properties, ran golf resort, and helped people with developing recipes for their orchards, and uh, doing commissary kitchens, and in the long one round wound up down here in Madison, and put all of that different various knowledge to work, helping at a, a shared use kitchen. Isn't that crazy? What a what a story! I I my um, family homesteaded in Door County, which is why I asked where you were because we were on the on the lakeside. Our family, so yeah, that's great. I still work with some people up there in the orchard business. So yeah, there's still a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, that could be a whole nother show. Actually, oh is the, oh god, yeah. you said yeah, yeah, the whole. Um, cherry fruit industry in our state. Yeah, and the way it's had to shift and what, it's just crazy. <laughs> totally different than when your grandparents did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're at Feed Kitchen. Um, so why don't you tell us about Feed Kitchen? Sure. So Feed is a shared-use incubator kitchen. Um, people have been going to business incubators for years for, uh, and for sh- and shared spaces for years for their accounting services or whatever it is, somebody who just needs an office that they only use five or 10 hours a week, but they need to have that physical office space for meetings. They need to have a telephone, possibly have a secretary. So they're sharing out a lot of those services. And when they're not there, somebody else is. Well, this is the same thing, but with food. So Mm -hmm. we've got five different spaces that people can use. We have two rooms that are kind of separated out, a training kitchen and a specialty meat kitchen that people can 
use those and kind of be away from everybody else. And then we have one large area that's got three workspaces. So it's our bakery kitchen, our deli hotline, and our vegetable kitchen. We did that so that if we have larger groups, they can use multiple kitchens at the same time in that area. But we have like the, the training kitchen has a stovetop and an oven and work tables. The uh, meat kitchen has slicers and grinders and a smoker. The bakery has a large roll-in rack oven, that kind of stuff. And we rent space to small food startups and to businesses that are looking to expand. We also have community groups that rent space from us from time to time. Goodman Center comes in and makes 3,000 pies over the course of a couple of days, uh, things like that. So we, we have the space to rent. We also have cooler, freezer, and dry storage spaces they can rent so that they can have all of their supplies and whatnot there. If they're a food truck, they can park in our parking lot so they don't have to do extra running. Mm-hmm. They can get all their food delivered to the kitchens. We have accounts so that we can get things delivered there for them for the vendors who literally order one thing a month and can't get something with like a Reinhardt or whatnot. Um, But then we also have, we've got food carts and we've got caterers and whatnot that have their own accounts or work with a lot of local farmers. One of the cool things that we're seeing is we have these little businesses that they use everything Wisconsin grown or Mm. everything regionally grown. It's it's really cool. Um, So that's, that's the one part of it. The other part of feed is the incubator part. It's the fact that we help the businesses get started. We help them go through the licensing process if they need it. Get either helping them write a business plan or finding somebody who can help them with that. Uh, referring them to places like Wibic or SCORE or Small Business Development Center because there's so many steps to start a business mm-hmm. that people just don't know. So we've kind of had to become experts on how to start a small business. Right. Well, were you around when it started? Um Tangentially. Yeah. Um, so Ellen Bernard was mm-hmm. on the Northside Planning Council, and she was the one that really pushed for yeah, it. Yeah, and she and came and pitched at Slow Money, so yep. I, I know Ellen, yeah. Yeah, and I've and known... And Peter, Peter from Peter RPs, Robertson from yeah. RPs, yep. Uh, so I've known, I've known both of them for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ellen, every year at Thanksgiving, there's a bunch of us that have Orphans Thanksgiving. It's people who are from out of town sure. or don't have family in the area. We all meet at one lady's house and have Thanksgiving. And every year, Ellen would like bounce questions off of me and kind of talk about what was going on with this thing. It's like, man, I really, I want to know more about this. And mm-hmm. If you were going to do this kind of production, would you have this piece of equipment? What do you think about this? If you were doing a training program, what would you do about this? So I kind of knew what was going on with it. I went to an info session about using the kitchen because I was looking at helping my uncle and my cousin to do larger production of apple sauces and butters and things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, Ellen was there and said, oh, you have to talk to the executive director of the NPC. You guys should meet. you got a lot in common. The end of it, she's like, well, when do I get your application? Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, we're closing out applications for the manager's position pretty soon. I'm like, uh, I was coming here to use the place. And mm-hmm. so, well, let me look at the job description. It's like, oh, this fits what, like, fits my knowledge you. set. Yeah. So I, I was hired a month before we opened. I helped to write the handbook and put together tables and shelving and all that kind of stuff. And I've been there ever since. So I started October of 2013, and we opened the doors November of 2013. Yeah, so, terrific. Yeah, there was a lot of work put in it beforehand. We still have some of those people around. Uh, Marty Michelson, who's with Kesnicks and ran the bakery department for Woodman's mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff, is on our board and our operating committee and a bunch of the other ones. It's been a huge, huge team effort. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the things that um, that uh, has been so impressive to me about Feed Kitchen is 
um, the scale at which you're operating. So um, I've been in, we've got lots of shared use kitchens around the state and I, and I kind of feel like every community thinks they need to have their own shared use kitchen. And then I talk to them or I go and visit and they're empty, you know, there's nothing going on. And I know how much that equipment costs and I'm, I'm like, this, this is a business model that's not working. So part of what is so exciting about having you here is, is the opportunity to talk about a, a shared-use kitchen business model. So mm -hmm. things like, how big do you have to be? Yeah, it, uh, a lot of it depends on your community and where you are. So one of the cool things that we've been able to do since Feed opened was work with other communities and what they're doing. Uh, so Freeport, Illinois came to us and they said, we're building a, a kitchen, but we're a lot smaller than Madison is. We know we don't need this much space. What do you recommend? So working with them on doing like a 2,000 square foot kitchen. We're 5,400 square feet okay. of feed. Um, and that includes the storage facilities that's including the storage, too, yeah. right. And one of the things that, that we did not do when we built it, we... At, when we opened the doors, we were at about $1.4 million in, in uh, our project, and we've added... 1.4 in terms of money invested into the project? Yep, okay. uh, for the building and all the equipment. Yeah, in. and we, there and your building, for people who don't know, is a new building yep. in the middle of a parking lot, yep. right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and Giant parking lot. Yes, there was For nothing, a dying mall. Nothing yes. there, and we built right in the middle of it. Um, Do you know why they decided to not go into an existing building? Uh, we had looked at some existing buildings, and they, they talked about it, but the main reason was when you, uh, and it's kind of funny, I knew this coming in because my dad's done construction for years, when you're going into something that's already built that doesn't suit what you are doing, it actually costs you more per square foot to redo it. Um, the other thing was they had some criteria that they wanted. So because of what we were doing and who we were going to be working with, we knew we were going to be working with a lot of populations that didn't have their own car. Mm -hmm. They were going to be walking, riding, or taking a bus. We were going to have a lot of farmers coming in with large trucks, semis coming in, that kind of thing. We wanted to be able to work with public transportation. We wanted to have some visibility. So we had to be close to bike paths, public transportation, all of that. And where we are, we're right at where 30 and North Sherman meets. You can get downtown, you can get all around. You got the North Transfer Point real close by. Great visibility from where it is. Good walking and bike paths. They looked at going out where Ellis Island is now. Mm -hmm. um, they had looked at possibly going down into the Town Center Mall and a few other places to some existing spaces. A couple of the spaces they wanted were not available yet because of contract and whatnot. But it just we figured out in the long run that building it to what we needed would suit better. Mm -hmm. um, and even then, we knew that there were things we were going to be missing. Like, if you're building a commercial kitchen, especially a shared use, you should have an even amount or an equal amount of storage to workspace. Mm -hmm. We don't. We have more workspace than we have storage. Mm -hmm. We knew that we were at that just because we were at, okay, we have this much money. If we wait longer to go build it, mm -hmm. prices are going to go up and whatnot. So built it as it was. Looking at down the road, we're, we're going to have to expand. We're going to mm -hmm. have to add more storage. Can't you have more space to expand? There? We can. We can buy the lot next to where okay. we are. Uh, we right. currently lease the lot. We've been really great that the landowner there, Alexander Company, mm -hmm. did a long-term lease. We have like an 88-year lease with them, and they cool. They you did, could be dead before that right. ends. Yes. Yes, and they they did. Uh, 
they did an escalating lease too, so that the first few years we had super low rates mm-hmm. because they knew we were opening and it was untested in this area. Sure. Uh, in fact, it was untested in most of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, incubator kitchens have been I'd... around for about a decade uh, on the coasts pretty heavily, mm-hmm. um, especially urban ones. There have been like the, the farm kitchen in, in Algoma, there have been places like that around that are built for orchards and, and mm-hmm. built for farms, but to do the urban part is really a little bit newer. Mm-hmm. Um, so working with the, the different communities, telling them you have to have plenty of storage space. That's our biggest issue. It's feed right now. We're at 105% use of our storage. <laughs> we are, we are <laughs> well, over... that's an interesting number. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that means that every single shelf is full and we have rolling Things racks that floor, we have to yeah, roll in, in to, to put extra out. stuff on. Right. Um, where we're at about 35% of usage of the kitchen. Right. Now that's, that's assuming five kitchen spaces being used 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you look at, and that's also, if you come in at nine o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday, the place is nuts. Mm-hmm. We have a dozen food carts all working in two kitchens. We've got bakers working on stuff. We have caterers working in another area. We have our food reclamation people pulling stuff together. We have drop-offs and deliveries and all kinds of things. So in if you looked at it linearly, we're higher than that, but we look at what the actual like hours of the day usage yeah, is. D- yeah, um, spread so, out over 24 hours. Right. So do you really have people there in the middle of the night? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. We. Uh, I'm making my sauce in the <laughs> middle of the night. Yep. Um, part of the fun of my job is I get to do orientation with people. Uh-huh. I've, I've done a lot throughout the, the restaurant industry, and, and I can dabble in a lot of things. And I, the really, really tough part about my job is when I first got hired, they said, we want you to, to use every piece of equipment here. We mm-hmm. want you to come in and test everything out. So, okay, the, you know, the $25,000 Alto Sham combination smoker, everything, I guess I'm going to have to make pulled pork in that to see how it turns I out. I guess. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to make cookies and see how they work. Um, but that, that is an important part in, in training some of the other people who work there as well so that when a new member comes in, we can go in and work with them on the first day they're producing so they know how to use the, the different pieces of equipment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going from, let's say you're, you're just making tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. Well, when you do it at home, you're getting, you have a 20 or a 30 quart pot, you're doing it on your stovetop, you're putting it into your jars, you're doing a stovetop jarring where, you know, the old blue speckled pot that everybody's grandma right, had, right. that holds seven quart jars. Right. Now you come into feed, we have a 40 gallon tilt jacketed or tilt skillet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, you can put hundreds of pounds. I mean, we, we had a just a family come in, casual member that wanted to just make their own tomato sauce. Last year, we did a little over 300 pounds of tomatoes in that thing. Mm-hmm. Cooked them down, jarred them up, made tomato sauce, made stewed tomatoes, made soup starter. And then you can do up to 60 quart jars or I think we fit 96 pint jars in that same skillet for water bath canning. So it's such a huge difference. So teaching people how to use the equipment, how to scale up. Mm -hmm. Well, again, we've got sauce makers that they've got a a regular nine to five job. Mm -hmm. So the only time they can come in is like nine o'clock at night till two in the morning. Well, somebody still has to teach them. So I get to go in there once in a Mm -hmm. while and teach them at that time. Uh, Do you you really have people... um, I mean, in all those constraints about people coming and going, I'm thinking, okay, so somebody's coming, they don't, they don't have a vehicle of their own, and they're using public transportation, and I get that. But then how do you sell food if you don't have a car? 
Uh, it gets kind of difficult sometimes. I bet. Um, a lot of the ones that are in that position are coming in for like the bakery training program mm. or they're working with Healthy Food for All doing food reclamation. Or so now... bef- yeah, before we go any further, I think we got to define these for people. So, so let's feed... start with bakery. So Feed Kitchens is the physical building and the entity there. Um, it's run by the Northside Planning Council, uh, which is a nonprofit that does good works on the north side of Madison, helps mm-hmm. with the community centers and whatnot. Um, when we first opened up, our very first tenant was the River Bakery Program, and then the next day, the Just Bakery Program, run by Madison Ministry. River mm-hmm. was run by River Food Pantry. Um, so River got the program started, and then it transitioned over. We took it over for them because they're, they are busier than we are. Right. Um, they're insane. And so they were like, this is too much, and we said, we'll, you know, we're going to take it over because we want this program to keep going. You guys did a great job starting it. Mm-hmm. Now we've got all this stuff in place. We can run it. And uh, Marty Michelson was the one with Punky Egan, who was the bakery instructor at METC for a long time. She's a master baker. They developed the curriculum, mm-hmm. worked with the Wisconsin Bakers Association. And so they ran both programs. Now, Just Bakery finally grew enough that they were able to go over. They have their own uh, kitchen space in the new porch light facility mm-hmm. off of Thera Road, mm-hmm. um, which is phenomenal. And been over there, and they come over. We help each other out. They like, hey, mm-hmm. we need more butter, or what, what, not. Right. But so the the bakery program is um, just bakery. They're they're the same program, same everything except who, who they who they work with. Just works with uh, Huber inmates recently paroled individuals and homeless individuals. Mm -hmm. And the feed bakery program works with long-term unemployed and underemployed Mm -hmm. uh, and people who change of life, things like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a nine to 12 week course that uh, incorporates basics of baking. So breads, cookies, cheesecakes, pies, coffee cakes, things like that. Uh, Some cake decorating and then bakery math, figuring out fractions, how to, uh, cut recipes in half, how to expand them out, things like that, and a full sanitation course, too, mm-hmm. so that when they're done, they take a practical and a written test. If they pass both of them, they get a certificate from the Wisconsin Bakers Association. They also take their serve safe test, so mm-hmm. when they're done, they get their, their food manager's license, which gives you a step up if you want to go into any facility. Uh, and they also work on uh, sales. So they go out, we do the farmer's market on the mm-hmm. north side. So they rotate the students through there so they, they get one-on-one sales. We do uh, different events around the area so they'll go and just talk about what the program is so that they get a little bit more of the interaction, get them a broader view. Uh, I give them a couple of days of knife skills. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the basic knife identification. Here's a bunch of ways to chop onions and celery and carrots because most restaurants at this point don't have a dedicated pastry chef. Right. They've got somebody who does a little bit of everything. So we make them jacks of all trades, mm-hmm. which really helps out. Mm-hmm. Um, next- so, and it, w- the city of Madison um, has a plethora of restaurants, independent restaurants. Yeah. We are like restaurantville around here. Yep. Um, and the clients I have, um, are all saying that they're having trouble getting staff. So yeah. I bet they really appreciate this. Yeah, it's we're, we're working to get them staff, and, and it's crazy. We actually, like, just feeling Madison is tough enough. We have the Dells calling up. They're like, hey, can you send us people? Isn't that like, amazing? Yeah, it's just nuts. We're, we're working on some culinary training. We just recently had uh, Tori Mill and Johnny Hunter's mm-hmm. pr- uh, program, their Food Works program, do their first 
uh, test class by us, and they're working on doing more. Right. Uh, and so we've been talking to all these guys. Yeah, it's there's if that's that's a broad culinary training, right? That they envision. There's right kind of like the is it like the bakery program? Um, or? The first program they did was a three week fast immersion one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the long run, they eventually want to do a longer program. From mm-hmm. the way I understand it, uh, we have a longer curriculum written up to that we. When we expand, we want to be. We, right now, we just don't have the space or time to do it. But right. if we expand, we're looking at a nine to twelve week kind of the same thing. The basics, teaching them other sauces, mm-hmm. teaching basic chopping, sautéing. We're not making executive chefs. We're trying to just no. help to fill a niche in Madison, which is you can't get line cooks. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I consult with restaurants. I, I help out with a lot of them, and I know a lot of the different owners. Mm-hmm. And they just they can't. They I can't, know they can't get people. Tori, a couple months ago, we were talking about this, and he said, if I could get somebody who guaranteed that they would show up for every shift they were scheduled for two weeks mm-hmm. and actually did it, I don't care if they've never touched a vegetable in their life, mm-hmm. I would hire them on the spot. Yeah. Because people show up, they it's like, oh, restaurants, that looks fun. And then they actually get in there and start working. And they like, realize it's oh, hot and, oh, yeah. my God, it's pressured <laughs> and I got to chop onions really fast and I yep. don't know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just nuts. So is the, what's the placement rate like for um, your bakery program? So everybody who's graduated from the program has a job. Awesome. Uh, every single one of them. Now, because of the clients and the, the communities that we're working with, we don't have 100% graduation rate. We don't even mm-hmm. have 50%. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people get... Part it's kind of funny because we help them get internships, we help them find jobs. So we have people who get like eight weeks into the program and don't finish because they got a job. Yeah. They don't need to finish. Wow. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, but that would to me that would count as a success. Yeah, I mean, it's, it still is. We still count it. I mean, it's been really good. And we we actually have hired back several of the people who graduated from the program just because we're doing production, we're doing more stuff. We mm-hmm. need teacher's assistance because it's growing. So that's been really good, too. They've been able to come back in and, and do even more stuff. So it's been that's been great. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's been really good. Really great. Okay, so that's the bakery so program. Bakery. So Healthy Food for All is an initiative that uh, Chris Brockle, Joe Mingle, and Mark Thomas started Uh and they they were looking at there's all Chris worked at at uh, CAC and a few other places, and he saw how much food waste there was. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just absolutely insane. And like working in the restaurant industry, I knew how much food waste there was. So I did an interview this morning about food waste. About so this is food waste day here apparently. <laughs> uh, I, I thought I knew how much there was, and then I like started looking at more of it. it's like. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So they were looking at all this stuff that CAC has come in and they get truckloads of stuff. And CAC and is Community Action Coalition. Okay. Um, so they get stuff donated from all over. Uh, they'll get stuff that's like second harvest has extras of whatever, mm-hmm. or farmers just have a bunch of I have hundreds of pounds of beets I don't know what to do with. Here right, you go. Right. Um they also had stuff coming in from Epic. Mm-hmm. So Epic Systems, the medical records company, has a gigantic, a gigantic and amazing cafeteria. Right. Uh, they have a European-style bakery there. They've got, I think, 11 cafeterias at this time. Their food is just awesome. So they have all this stuff coming, and they're like, what are we going to do with it? This stuff is just, it goes out to some food pantries. It goes out to some neighborhood centers. But a lot of the problem is, like, when Epic sends in soup, they're sending 30 five-gallon buckets of soup at a time. Right. Or you're getting these, like, 
pallet loads of greens and the food pantries don't have the time or energy to separate it out. And people don't want to just grab greens. They want something that they can go easier with. So these guys said, let's, let's figure out how to, how to deal with this. Let's figure out a way to clean this stuff up, package it and get it out to the people. Mm-hmm. So they were working at feed on it. They were, uh, and I can't remember which group it is in town that basically works as a, a small, um, fiscal agent for nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, they were working under them, but it got to the point where they needed to do something more. They needed somebody who could be more hands-on with them. So they, we got talking and said, why don't you guys come over and be part of the NPC? Mm-hmm. You'll be a project at the NPC. We've got the accounting. We've got all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We can help out with it. And it gives you a little bit more of a base and a little bit more viability. So last year, they did 85,000 pounds of food. And they would have done more, but we got all that rain in the high peak of, of, of picking season. Picking season, yes. And so a lot of the stuff that they were going to get donated didn't come in. But they get all the soup from Epic. Epic sends over their recipes, so we have all the ingredients. Mm-hmm. And we make a fully compliant label with all of the ingredients, with allergen warnings, with weights, all that stuff. Um, and they, they transfer it from the five-gallon buckets down to quart containers, seal it up throw it in the freezer, and then they deliver it out to neighborhood centers, food pantries, churches, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, they have farmers who drop stuff off. They also have gleaners that go out, and they work with local groups. There's there's a group of older gentlemen that call themselves the geezer gleaners. The geezer uh, gleaners. Yeah, so they'll go out, and if somebody says, hey, I've got a bunch of apple trees in my yard, can you come pick them and do, do something with them? Or the uh, the UW's experiment station has mm-hmm. their, their test farm. They'll say, we've got four rows of carrots, come and pick them and get them out of here. So they, they deal with this stuff. It's just nuts. I want to say there are somewhere around 60,000 pounds already leading into June. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and they haven't even hit the peak season yet. Wow. So they've been working out a feed. It's great. And now we're doing more with that. We have a bunch of people. There. They have Chris, who is half-time employee of Healthy Food for All and half-time as a coordinator at Feed. Mm-hmm. And then Joe and Mark, I don't know what they actually get paid for. Um, I want to say they get like 10 to 15 hours a week that they actually bill us for. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're probably each working about 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest of it is all volunteer. Mm-hmm. It's all uh, people coming over from the job center that just need something to do. It's people who have retired and want to come out and help. It's people who heard about and came out. The cool thing that we've been getting lately is like office groups, like the United Way will, like people are looking for uh, some activity that their office right, can do. Right, a volunteer So activity, they'll come out yeah. and do stuff or they'll go out and go do Go pick green. carrots, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's really neat. So there, it, it's just all volunteer based. It's just absolutely crazy how mm-hmm. much time and effort goes into it. So now they're taking a bunch of these people who've been helping out for a while and they're teaching them basic culinary skills of, like I did knife skills last week with them, how to chop, mm-hmm. slice, and dice, because we're going to teach them how to do co-packing. Mm. Because there are co-packers out there, like you have Innovation Kitchen mm-hmm. and other ones, but most of them, they want a pallet worth of stuff for you to do. There aren't small ones. Just right before I came in here, we had a farmer stop out and said, hey, do you guys have anybody? I need pickles made, mm-hmm. but I need like six cases of pickles made just for a, an extra thing at the farmer's market. I don't need a ton and I can't find anybody. Right. So that's what we're kind of training people on there. It's another job skill that we're going to actually try to set up a 
canning co-op mm-hmm. with a bunch of people so that they can kind of take care of this and do do a lot of the small work that needs to happen. So how much of this um, is philanthropically funded and how much is fee for service? Healthy Food for All right now is completely philanthropic. Yeah, all mm-hmm. philanthropic. Um, it's, yeah, all grant-based, and the grants that they're getting are, for the most part, from local organizations like the Goodman Center, mm-hmm. things like that, uh, or Goodman Foundation, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, and the fee-for-service thing will eventually come in when we start doing, like, the pickles and things for mm-hmm. people, uh, but they still want to keep it. They want to they do it, make it so that they can actually pay people to do it, but not go crazy on it. Mm-hmm. So th- they're definitely a volunteer and donation-based organization. Um, And what about the bakery program? Bakery uh, is, it's predominantly donation. Now Mm -hmm. they, um, they are selling what they make. So there's some stuff they can't just because like, let's not feed that to people. Because you you should have put a quarter cup of baking soda in there and you put in two cups. Uh, right, um, right. It's Inedible. Really, right. Yes. Uh, yeah, I came in one morning and they're like, can you tell us what happened to this coffee cake? It blew up. I'm like, you baking did too much soda. baking soda. <laughs> um, but they, they take stuff to the farmer's market. They're working with some with local grocery stores and coffee shops and stuff like that. Um, the main thing with that is it's to cover the cost of the ingredients mm-hmm. yeah, sure. because you have th- for every student that goes through the program, it's about three thousand mm-hmm. dollars that it costs for mm-hmm. instruction, ingredients, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, you can cover a lot of that with donations from people, mm-hmm. but you're also running a lot to get the donations and get do whatnot. Absolutely. So if we can sell some of that product and not just have it go to waste, mm-hmm. uh, when we first started out, a lot of it was going to the food pantry, and some of it still does. But when we actually have a good viable product, it's mm-hmm. great that we can get it out there. In the North Side Farmers Market. Yep. Yeah, and it's good experience for them. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of that budget do you think is philanthropic now? Uh, I think we're still probably at at least 60-40, if not 75-25. Okay. All right. We'd like to see it kind of move a little bit the other way, but Mm -hmm. it's nice, too, that that you can work with the community. It's been so community-supported. Of Um, course. One of the neatest things when you walk into feed, you so you walk in the front doors, and my office is off to the left, and to the right is the the shared office in the conference mm-hmm. room. And in front of the conference room on the wall, there's a wall of their ceramic hand-tossed plaques. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Ellen's partner, Myrtle, is a potter. She's, mm-hmm. she's, a, she's got a doctorate. She's, she's got everything. It's mm-hmm. just insane. But she made all of these individual nameplates, uh, all cast, beautiful-looking, did a layout on the wall with them. So it's... It's got everybody who helped us get started. Mm-hmm. So, like, top center, there is City of Madison. There's there's the Capitol Dome made to look like a, 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 a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then because we worked with Slow Food and Slow Money, there's little snails going down and oh, going up a broccoli yeah. tree. Um, and, you know, Mary Burke, there's bicycles on one. and mm-hmm. But it goes all the way down to, like, the people who gave $5 or mm-hmm. came and helped us put together tables. They're all on that wall. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really great. And I like to point it out to people because if it wasn't for the community, there's no way we would have gotten this project done. Right. Um, and that's one of the other things that I tell every group that I work with. You have to have community support mm-hmm. because you could build a great, beautiful thing. You can have all of the equipment you need. But if the community, one, doesn't know about it, you're never going to get people. And if they're not going to support you, you won't stay open. Right. I mean, we've never taken an ad out anywhere. Everything that we do is 
all word of mouth. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, having our webpage up and sending people to it, doing information sessions. They have people come out. But most of the people who walk through the door are like, so-and-so told me I should come talk to you. Mm -hmm. So it's huge. You have to have that. Right, right. So now Feed Kitchen itself, um, when you and I talked, it sounds like you're making really good progress on building up Feed for Service as a revenue stream for you guys. Yeah. So when people come in, we have two ways that they can use the kitchen. Well, (laughs) I guess I should jump back even farther. We've got, we have two types of members. We have commercial members and we have casual members. Uh, commercial member is anybody who has to be licensed by the city, state, county, or federal government to sell a product. Mm -hmm. So it's your food carts, your caterers, sauce makers, that kind of thing. Um, and then we have casual. So casual is everybody else. Casual is the couple that comes in to make their tomato sauce or the three families that come and make Christmas cookies together mm-hmm. every year. It's also the Goodman Center because they're not selling a product, they're giving it away. Or the Girl Scout troops that come in to get their badge work, that kind of thing. Um, or somebody doing a cooking class. So they have, the, the casual members have less hoops to jump through. I mean, they're not getting licensed. They don't have to worry about getting commercial insurance. They don't have to have a business plan written, any of that kind of stuff. Um, The commercial ones have to have an insurance policy by state regs. We want them to have a business plan. I I get the synopsis page from them. I have had people send me their, like, 15- or 20-page business plan. It's like, I don't need all of that, but (laughs) it's there. Um, They have to get licensed by sometimes multiple agencies, and we, we get to go through all the fun of that with them. Um, so once they're in there, both groups pay pretty much the same. Um, the, we do a, a rate for nonprofits if we're working like with Goodman or if we have a church that's coming in and we have a couple of them that come and do like dinners for the homeless or things like that. Well, we're a nonprofit. We're trying to do more social engagement. So we want to work with the groups that are doing that as well. So they pay a $20 an hour rate done. Uh, same thing like Reap comes in and does work. Mm. So they get a little bit better rate then. If somebody's just coming in, just renting straight, they want to come in and use the kitchen for four hours or something like that, it's $30 an hour to use it. And that includes the one of the kitchen spaces, the dishwasher, all the pots and pans, all the chemicals, aprons, towels, garbage service, all of that. We don't charge extra for mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, then if they are a, re- a recurring renter, so like our food carts and things like that, we have monthly rental rates. So... Depend and they they're tiered depending on how much they're using. So we have some sauce makers that only use a couple hours a month. One month they might use two hours. The next month they might use twelve, and they might use eight. So we have uh, an up to ten hour a month with one storage shelf included rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, what we do too is because of the the nature of how our businesses work, we look at it as a six month time frame rather than going month to month to month to month. Uh, because like our food carts, we know are going to, in April and May, they're going to use half the time they're going to use in June and July. Right. But if we can say, okay, you guys are at the the 10 to 30 hour or the 30 to 60 hour a month time frame, it gives them a set amount they can pay every single month. And then at the end of the food cart season, we look at it and if they have to reconcile a couple hours, it's fine. But it, it makes it a lot easier. When we first started, we did all one rate mm. and it was up and down and up and down. And we, at the end of the first year, we asked the renters, what's, you know, what's the best thing? What mm-hmm. do you guys want? And they said, we want a budget. Right. So found out that that worked a lot better to give them that set budget. Right. Uh, we also have things like if somebody's coming in to do recipe development, we know that they... You don't have to be licensed to do recipe development if you're doing, like, let's say you're 
you're making a product, you're making barbecue sauce. Well, barbecue sauce, you have to have sent off, have the pH active, pH level in water activity tested. tested. So you're making a, a product that you can't sell, that you're having to, to give away, basically. And now we're going to charge you $30 an hour to do that. Well, that kind of sucks. So we have a six-hour, $100 uh, recipe development rate. And they don't have to do it in a six-hour block. They can do it in a couple, like, three twos or two threes or whatever they need to do. Um, and a lot of times I help them with that part, too, just with or either me or, like, one of our other sauce makers or one of our food carts or whatever it is. We have a lot of mentorship going on just by happenstance. It's kind of cool the way it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are already do, doing this and been doing it for a while will come in and help the other guys to figure out what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, we will help people out with that because it gives, saves them a little bit of time and money that way. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so of your of the feed's total budget, how much is percent-wise is feed for service at the uh, moment? Right now we're at about 80%. 80%. Yep. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. very good. It's very good. <laughs> so, um, and in your original investment was... Uh, 1.4. 1.4 million, yep. yeah. And, uh, th- th- you know, that does not surprise me. I bet it would surprise a lot of people. They're like, well, yep. we got this kitchen somewhere in the basement. We're going to just make it work down there. Last December, our insurance agent said, okay, you've been open for three years, so we have to do a, we have to do an inventory and reevaluation. So we went through and did everything. To build it right now with the equipment and everything that we have would be, and this, again, three years later, well, three and a half at this point, but about two point one million. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> it's a part of it too. Is we we holy cow! Uh, we we beg, borrow, and, and stole. We stole had, a bunch of equipment. Yeah, older so we, equipment, or is uh, it all some older? We so um, we got a sixty quart mixer from uh, the Monona School District that we mm-hmm. bought from them. They were looking to upgrade. It's a Hobart, so and it's twenty six years old. Um, well, is it as tall as you? Um, no, it's it's only about five feet tall. Oh, okay. Um, the, we we have a new one that's almost as tall. It's almost as um, tall as you. The new the new one cost nineteen thousand dollars. Oh my god! Um, so we were lucky to get a used one when we started out. Um, but one of the nice things is if you have things like Hobart, you know, really good stalwart names, they last forever as long as you maintain them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were able to get that uh, cheaper. Our our combi oven, our Alto Sham, um, another great Wisconsin company, not made far away from here. Uh, we talked to the the rep and talked to the the, um, the showroom, and they had this one as a showroom piece, but the new model was coming out. So they wanted, to, they wanted to put a new model on the floor, but they still were selling this one. They said, well, we can give you a pretty good deal on it because it's a showroom mm-hmm. piece, as long as we can bring people out to your kitchen to show it to them. I was like, yeah, we want more people to come out here. That works great. So we got a decent deal. We had a few pieces that were donated from different kitchens, and we worked with Another Food equipment. Fight. Yeah, oh, Food uh, Fight, sure. Food Fight said, hey, we've got, you know, we've got a bunch of, like, extra spoons and pots and mm-hmm. things that we can give you. And, and like, got some of that kind of stuff, which was really, really helpful. We've had other groups that have donated mm-hmm. stuff as we've gone along. So we were able to fill out some of the kitchen with that kind of stuff without having to buy it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, if, if we, like, when we opened up with just all the donated stuff, it was an, about an extra $200,000 worth of equipment mm-hmm. that, like, the valuation of right, it. Right, right. And, yeah, now just with the way things have gone up, it's about 2.1. We, we've looked at, you know, pie in the sky, hey, if we expanded out and we doubled our cooler space and our freezer space and we put on some more offices because we have seven people sharing two offices right now. Right. Um, 
for about 4,000 square feet, it would cost us about 1.6 right now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so the original business plan, did you contemplate all of these different activities, or is that sort of evolved? Uh, it's evolved a lot. Yeah. Like, food carts, we have a ton of food carts Yeah, there. so what, and uh, that what was not, portion of your business is food carts? Um, this time of year, probably half. Okay. Um, now, in the winter, it's probably 15%, mm-hmm. because they're not out nearly as much. Mm-hmm. But... They were not. They weren't really even on the the radar. Right. Right. It was. Oh no! It's gonna. Oh, a couple of them. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be doing. We're gonna have somebody doing canning in here. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have somebody making their egg rolls in here, and and looking at that, and and the original estimates were we're going to have more core tenants using a lot of time each. Mm-hmm. Not we're going to have caterers that are in here for four hours a day, six days a week. For three months, and then not here for a month, and then mm-hmm. back. I think we did the really... intermittent, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And that. what about equipment? Like, is there some equipment that you go, "Why did we buy that?" <laughs> uh, there hasn't the the one thing we haven't used as much are our hot boxes, um, just because that we haven't had like now. This past weekend, one of the caterers actually rented our hot box to take out to a, an all-weekend catering. Mm-hmm. Um, and we use them as small proof boxes and stuff, but they don't use as, quite as much as we thought. Um, but there's pieces that we haven't picked up yet that we're still like, probably good we didn't get that yet. We looked at originally getting a spiral mixer, which would have mm-hmm. been great for making bread dough for the bakery, but that would have been it, as opposed to getting a couple 20-quart mixers, which are useful for everything. Lots of things, um, yeah. We also had some saving graces of we wrote in as phase two, we wanted to get a smoker. Um, we did not put a smoker in originally. It's written into the plan. Uh, we also wrote in a walk table. Um, we never added the walk table in. Instead, where the walk table would be, one of our renters has their coffee roaster. Oh, um, handy. So, yeah, so he rents space for his coffee roaster there. Uh, works out well. And so we were looking like, okay, we, we probably need to get a smoker. The Alto Sham can do smoking, but it's much smaller. And one of our food carts came in and said, hey, so we really want to work here. We were looking originally at getting our own space, and we had written into our business plan, and we had the financing to get a smoker. Mm-hmm. And you guys don't have a large cabinet smoker. If we get one, can we keep it here? And I said, sure. Uh, the, the policy is that if somebody has their own equipment here, they pay rent on that equipment. It's mm-hmm. like $10 a month, which is mm-hmm. nothing. But I said, how about we just don't charge you rent for it as long as... You guys are okay with if somebody else needs to use a smoker and you train them and you approve them, they can do it. Mm-hmm. So it's worked great. We have some guys who do competitive smoking. We have some people who have done like caterings for big weddings. And one of the one of the guys came in and did forty eight chickens in that smoker one day. Oh my! It was insane, and the place smelled amazing. Amazing, yeah. Um, so you get to tell us what competitive smoking is. So, so this is not a bunch of guys out with big packs of cigarettes, <laughs> right? I no. So you get you get competitive barbecue competitions, and it's crazy. They they are crazy. Oh, they're and it's a multi million dollar venture nationwide. There are there are teams nationally that have taken like full big huge RVs and turned them into their traveling smokers, and they go cross country and win tournaments basically but locally a lot of times what happens is you have like in conjunction with a threshery or a fair or something or they'll have their own competition where they they get judged on 
different meats. They can say, well, we're only doing chicken or only doing brisket, or we're going to go for the three meat combo competition. And you've got Texas style and Kansas style and all the different things. And they get, they get checked on their, their meat, like the texture Mm -hmm. of it, how much smoke flavor it has, all that kind of stuff. If they're doing their own sauce, how that goes, what their sides are with it. And it is crazy. I mean, we have a lot of these guys who do their, the competitions have their own smokers that they bring out and, they go in shifts. They'll have like three man teams and they start smoking like in the afternoon and somebody sleeps right there in their car or in a lawn chair, checking on that smoker constantly. And they rotate out to make sure that it's being watched all the time. Cause it's, I mean, this is, this is do or die. Do you get money if you win a smoking contest? Yeah. Depending on what the contest is, you know, locally, normally it's a couple hundred bucks, maybe $500. Nationally, there's teams that make millions. Oh my. Yeah. It's just, it's insane. Some of the, the big, big smoking competitions, they make a lot of money. Uh, it's kind of interesting, and they they literally travel the nation going to different competitions. Now, the guys locally that we've worked with, they've done like they might go as far as Minnesota or down to Iowa, but uh, yeah, it's it's they're hardcore. It, it is interesting too that it is barbecue that has done that. You know, I don't know yeah. any other food category that's like created this whole competition. And my son lives in Austin, Texas, and oh, they, uh, they are majorly serious oh. about their barbecue in Austin, Texas. And yes. we had to go to Franklin's that got written up in the Times that week. And people sleep out overnight to have a place on the line to get barbecue at Franklin's because it. They sell out at like by noon. It's gone, and yep. yeah, it, yeah, it's a whole crazy thing, man. Yeah, this spring we we took a little road trip and uh, we did the, the flyover state drive through. Mm. Um, so like Illinois down, went over to Kansas and down to Arkansas and like all the way back up through Nebraska. And so we went to Kansas City and in years back I went to Kansas City about every year and there was a barbecue place that was like on the backside of a filling station mm. and you would line up and wait and you'd get your food on a paper plate. But it's just it was the absolute absolute best. best and yes. so I've been telling my wife about this. Well, we we went there again and it's like they've gotten popular that they have like they have glass windows and they're you know they're fancy but it's still the same barbecue and it is you walk up you tell them what they want they give you a paper plate and now they have seats which is great because it used to be that you stood out behind the the gas station right and ate ate it on your hand but yeah people man they people get really territorial about barbecue serious about barbecue okay (laughs) so the other piece you you've been alluding to about things that you did you do at um, Feed Kitchen is what I would call the technical assistance for these mm-hmm. folks. So some of it, it sounds like, is um, heavily um, business planning and business oriented. Another is all the permitting stuff. Yeah. So one of the things that we did early on that I really like and that I've been encouraging a lot of people to do and trying to figure out how how like the city, county, state areas find funding for it is we put together a checklist which seems to make sense, but um, it's just not out there. Checklist of how to get, what you need to get started. Right. So all your permits. Right. And, it's, yeah, regulatory it's a, stuff. a combination mm-hmm. of what you need to do to work at feed and what you need outside of mm-hmm. that. So, okay, you're using a shared kitchen. You have to have a shared use agreement for both the city and the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have a reporting agreement saying that if you're sick, you're not going to work. Uh, you have to have a facility agreement saying that you agree to use a facility they agree to let you. 
photo releases so that if we're going to put something on Facebook, that kind of stuff. But then you also have, okay, to get started, have you incorporated? You know, it's legally, you don't have to incorporate, but I always Mm -hmm. tell people, you're an idiot if you don't incorporate somehow because you like your house and your car and you don't want somebody else living there or driving it. Right. Uh, Right. So, in case somebody gets sick. Right. Yeah. So, we help them walk through that. Okay. Mm -hmm. You also have to have your EIN. And Mm -hmm. then you also have to have your Wisconsin seller's permit. You literally cannot get a public health Madison Dane County license to sell food without a Wisconsin seller's permit. But they don't tell you that. Mm-hmm. So people come in, they're like, what is this, Wisconsin? What is it? It's so you can pay your state taxes. Right. And here's where you do it. Oh, okay. So I have, I've got a checklist that have, I also send people a digital one that has all the links for everything. So they can click and it takes them right to the IRS website. It takes them right to the state website. So they can fill those forms out. Because it's funny, now most of the forms, if you do them on paper, take three weeks to a month. If you do them on the computer, they take 15 minutes and they're done. Um, so yeah, we help them walk through all of that, uh, and then going through the whole licensing process. Okay, so you want to be a caterer, you're going to here's the form that you fill out. You want to be a food cart. Well, there's several different things you can do. You can do a state application that goes through DATCAP. If you're going to do more than Dane County, you can do a Dane County one. Are you going to be doing all prepared foods? Well, that's a retail. Are you going to be cooking to order? That's a restaurant, and it gets kind of confusing. So we make sure they have all of that. And as we were going and putting this stuff together, and here's the shared-use handout from the city, and here's the water, how much bleach you need in it, and here's the product recall guide from the state, and I kind of customized them, and I realized that, well, I'm basically making four packets. Mm-hmm. There's, if you're going to be a baker, right? that's the most basic. There's if you're going to be a sauce maker, which is basically a baker with extra things about the testing and whatnot. If you're going to be a caterer, or if you're going to be a food cart, which is a caterer on wheels. Mm-hmm. So I made full packets that range from 32 pages for baker to 68 pages for a food cart. And 68 pages. Just yeah. think about that. For somebody who wants to do a food cart, it's kind of mind-boggling, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Now, one of the do things you have that, big pictures in the 64 pages? Um, some of them. Some of them are, but um, are those like flow charts or something? or uh, just? Well, some of them are like, so one, one part of the, the food cart one is the city has a 15-page booklet on mobile vending. Mm-hmm. And it has breakdowns of the different cart sizes, things mm-hmm. like that. And they, they need actually been talking to them and working with them on updating that too. Right, because it's out of date. Right. There's things like that doesn't say that if you're in the city of Madison, you have to have 60 decibel or lower if you have a generator. Uh, if you're in the rest of Dane County, you can have 67 decibel. Mm. And there's counties outside of Dane that go up to 72 so 72, you can get a construction generator, mm-hmm. and it works just fine. If you're in the city of Madison, you have to have an inverted generator that's a lot quieter because you're, if you're downtown or anything. Well, a construction generator costs about $400. An inverter generator yeah, right. of the same amount, same same quality, and same outage is two to $3,000. Oh, boy. Yeah. A little bit different. A little different. So you, ha- I've seen way too many people that show up. They're like, I have my generator. like... Oops, wrong generator, right. So, you know, working on that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. having those handouts and and just so that people know what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Incredibly helpful stuff. Like, I I haven't even seen the full packets. I've seen some of your checklists and flowchart diagrams for various things. I'm like, this stuff is really (laughs) great. Yeah, we also figured out early on that, again, a lot of people coming in had never done food business or mm-hmm. they were a line cook or a prep cook, so they never had to do management and sure. stuff. So 
every member who comes in now gets a binder. Mm-hmm. Uh, binders got their their name, and if they if we have their logo, their logo on the front and open it up, it's got their contact information, their business, like what licenses, that kind of stuff that they have, who holds ServeSafe, um, their their emergency contact information, what their website is, all that kind of stuff. Next page is uh, their recording their hour sheet, their time log. And we have two types of time logs. We have just a straight one where it's just the date, time in, time out. And then there's one for food carts or caterers that is a lot more detailed. It has where they're vending that day, uh, what they were, you know, they washed dishes from this time. They got their clean water at this time. They dumped their water. And the reason being because the health department asked us to record, they wanted more information. They're like, mm-hmm. we want to know when people are doing this stuff. We want to be able to track it a little bit better. So it also helps us too, because when somebody comes in and uses the kitchen, we charge them for the time that they're physically in a kitchen space that somebody else can't be there. Um, now we have like, they can split kitchen space with people and pay like half the price while somebody else works in that same space. But if they come in and they're just washing their dishes, we're not charging them for that because somebody else can be using the kitchen. They're just washing dishes. So, or, so there's a, I, this made me think. So in a place like Austin, Texas, where there are a million food carts, mm-hmm. um, are, do all states have this sort of regulatory environment? Because it seems to be like push ours is pushing people to use a facility like yours. Like yeah. how could you, you do all of this? It's the it's reality the of some it. places, some places like Wisconsin has some of the strictest food laws there are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dane County has the strictest in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there are other places. So we, we had a guy come up that wanted to wanted to do coffee. And he had come from Tennessee. And in Tennessee, he could just... Wild West, except it's east. Yeah, hook the coffee maker up in his garage, open up the garage door, roast coffee. No problem. Well, that doesn't work in Wisconsin. You have right. to have a certified kitchen and everything. And if you're taking, I've, I've seen people do it where they've taken one room in their house, they've made it into a certified kitchen. Mm-hmm. You can only use it for your business. You can't even go and cook yourself an egg in the morning in that kitchen. Right. You have to have a separate kitchen in there. But if you have the physically established space over, you have a house, you have, you know. A barn, a, whatever, you put it yeah. in. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the low end about $120,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, most commercial kitchens, you realistically, once you get the equipment and whatnot, it's about $200,000, mm-hmm. which for a small business is really difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the reasons we built Feed was to take some of that risk away. Sure. So for food carts, now we have some we have some that do no cooking at Feed whatsoever. They do all their cooking on their cart, mm-hmm. but they still have to have a place to, to store, wa- right? store food, wash their dishes, get clean water, and dump dirty water. That's one of the biggest concerns that the city has is, what is your water source? Mm-hmm. Because water can affect people yeah. so greatly. Yeah. Uh, so that's where if they find somebody who's not working out of a commercial kitchen, they go after them pretty hard because you think about how many people in the course of a week a food cart can serve, and it's going to take about a week before they catch on to where people are getting sick. Mm-hmm. So they've been really, really strict about it. Mm-hmm. So there, there are places, like, and we have, we have an access fee. If somebody just is going to come in and they're going to get ice, get water, wash dishes, it's $50 a month. And mm-hmm. it's basically just so that they, it, it covers the cost of the chemicals and the, the paperwork for mm-hmm. them. But it also gives them legitimacy. It, it makes the health department know that they're doing their stuff sure. right. And, and so that booklet that they have, they track their time. They also track what they produced. So if they're roasting pork there, they track this day I did this much pork, this day I did this much rice. Uh, if they're a canned good, Maker, if they're hundred mile sauce, who's making their 
Bloody Mary mix, their ketchup, their barbecue sauce. They record how much of each thing they did, how many cases, and they assign a batch number to mm-hmm. it. And then they have a batch log in the back of it where they list all of the ingredients, where they came from, if they have a lot number or some kind of identifier. And again, this is something that people, they come in, they have no idea. Right, so, so right. So we walk them through it. We put all these tools together. Now, we we have Spark Spice that works out of us. He was a quality control guy for, <laughs> I forget which company, Hill, of Hillshire Farms or one of them for years, right? So he has a computer program that he built that's got all this stuff that he... Sure. You know, he puts tracks. in a shortcut, it tracks yep. everything. So he doesn't need my sheets. Mm-hmm. But it's the people who come in, um, Mandy Shipler of Mandy Moods Food, who was our the third person to start working there. She actually made her business because she found out Feed was going to get started and she had been talking about it for years. And she's like, well, if this is going to be here. I can work on this. You know, it was walking through and showing her how to do all the batching mm-hmm. and everything. So th- she recorded it. So we try to put all the tools in there. We have, we keep copies of their licenses and their um uh, all their different forms that they have. Um, so you're almost like doing admin for them too, yeah, in a way. Yeah, we do a little bit yeah, of admin. Yeah. yeah. Um, we one of our early on, uh, one of our members went through and made a bunch of standard operating procedure sheets, kind mm-hmm. of streamlined them. Things that that the Department of Ag really likes, but doesn't have. <laughs> So uh, it's washing your hands and using clean utensils and how to store food properly Mm -hmm. and employee training. And she said, here, Mm -hmm. take these and just give them to everybody because it took me 40 hours to put them together and I don't think anybody else should have to do that. So we email out uh, Word documents of that to everybody so they can put in their information, Mm -hmm. customize them. We have a fully fleshed out recall plan if they want it. And then we put copies of all that in their book. Mm -hmm. So I also encourage them to have their own binder where, like, if they're on a cart, have all that stuff on the cart, or if they're a caterer, take it out with them, whatever it is, have the their stuff with them as well. That binder, this binder that I make, stays at feed. And the main mm-hmm. reason is if the inspector comes in and says, so and so was at the farmer's market and they said they're working here, here's their binder. There you go. Right. See, they were here this day. Here's all their information. So it makes it easy. And we've, we've developed really good relationships with both Department of Ag and the health department because it's better to to be friendly and cooperative with them, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be antagonistic. Right. Uh, so they can come in. I talk to them on a very regular basis. So as new people come in and talk to me, I let them know what's going on. When somebody fills out paperwork, I scan it right away and email out the copies that the state or the city needs so that they know what's coming up. And when they come to do the inspection, they have all of their ducks in mm-hmm. a row already. Yeah, it's a huge service that you're doing for people. So how many different individual companies or members, use the word members, do you have at Uh, any one time? We have, for commercial, since we opened up, and some have come and gone and whatnot, but I want to say we've had 96, Mm -hmm. and there's another 43 casual. Mm -hmm. Um, That's quite a bit. (laughs) And is there a lot of churn in that? Uh, There's some. So... Uh, people moving out of state. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Madison Chocolate Company, Megan Heil. Uh, Con- wor- inconveniently moved out of state. <laughs> no, she actually lives <laughs> in a- state. She she moved to a new, she actually started her own facility. Oh, facility, yeah. So, Should they graduate. Yeah, yeah they graduate that's out. And that's what we want. Yeah, um, of course. The majority of the, the businesses working out of there, you look, are going to be there two to five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we want. Now, there's some that will always be there. Like Mandy will probably always make some sauces by us. Now she's actually having Innovation Kitchen do some co-packing mm-hmm. for her on some of her more Good. popular ones. Um, but 
she's gonna she's got some small ones. Same thing with Hundred Mile Sauce. Mm-hmm. Their Bloody Mary mix. Innovation Kitchen makes the one gallon bag in the box ones for them that go out to restaurants. Mm-hmm. But they're still doing the smaller batch stuff. They're doing their ketchups there, so they still have a good hand in it. Um, but we want to see people graduate out. Mm-hmm. Megan started out working out of RP Pasta's test kitchen, and then moved over by us. Was able to at least quadruple what she was doing, offer more stuff. She's doing a chocolate CSA, which is awesome, and get to the point where she actually moved into her own facility, which Mm -hmm. is great. Uh, We've got a couple of the food carts that are looking at, within the next year, getting their own restaurants. Mm -hmm. So we've been helping them with writing business plans and researching that and getting ready for it. And the only thing we ask of them is when you're done, when you leave, we'd like you to come back once in a while and just mentor somebody new, Mm -hmm. Uh, help them Mm -hmm. out, do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We've had a couple of businesses that have sold... Uh, and actually, it's kind of funny, like the coffee business is actually the second owner uh, because the other one got transferred out of state, so mm. he sold to somebody who was looking for a business. Um, but yeah, and then there's some that we see just once in a great while because they, they do a specialty thing, or they started out and then real life gets in the way, and they had a kid and whatnot, but once they're a member there, they're a member for life. They don't. Mm-hmm. There's not a yearly membership fee or anything, so they can come back whenever they want to do mm-hmm. stuff. And the casual ones... We have people who do cooking classes that they might do six classes in nine weeks, and then they might not do any more for another six months, that kind of stuff. We've got groups like Goodman or the Wilmar Neighborhood Center who are there once a year just to do their pie bakes, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So um, how big do you think you need to be to get to a place where you're um, breaking even on a fee-for-service basis? We need to be at about 40 to 45%. Uh, Capacity, yeah, Uh, of the kitchen. Yep. Yeah. 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 The big thing for us, too, is because of the seasonality. Of course. We need to get a few, like, we need, you need to have some anchor tenants. Mm -hmm. So, like, the bakery is one of our anchor tenants. And we need to have some people who are there year-round doing stuff. That's Mm -hmm. where, like, the sauce makers and some of the bakers help out in that area. Mm -hmm. Because the food carts and caterers are so seasonal. Uh, I mean, food carts can operate year-round. Um, two years ago, they were operating in January because it wasn't as harsh a winter. Now, last winter, they were all done by, like, the 2nd of November. November, Just, yeah. They were done It was early. cold. Um, so that makes a big difference. And while there's caterings over the winter, the majority of the caterings are during the wedding season, which is summer, spring and summer. Mm-hmm. So it's just filling in those gaps or building up enough of a reserve so that you can kind of get through the winter to do things, you know, cash rich in the summer, cash poor mm-hmm. in the winter. Um, so yeah, we're, I mean, we're rapidly approaching it. Um, Mm -hmm. and well, and there, and there's, it doesn't matter what you do in food. It's always seasonal. I mean, it's, yeah. 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 You have like the hundred miles. February is dead no matter what you do in food. Right. Yeah. And, and some of the people have been pretty smart about it. Like hundred mile sauce freezes. They buy, they buy 95% of their ingredients from within a hundred miles of the capital. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they buy like 50,000 pounds of tomatoes Mm -hmm. and they freeze a ton of them Mm -hmm. because if you're making sauce, freezing tomatoes works great. Right. You can freeze it when you defrost it. It actually helps to break it down faster. Mm -hmm. So they're doing that. There's other ones that are like, well, I use local fruit and there just isn't. Well, so then you find a farmer who will freeze it for you or do, you know, do Mm -hmm. some other things, or you have to have something that you can do, in the off season that isn't local, you know, maybe it's more regional or something. So what do you tell um, small communities when they come to you, if they're smart enough to come to you and say, we want to have a shared use kitchen in our community? Shared use kitchen is great, but you have to diversify. Um, 
you're never going to support yourself in a small community with just a shared use kitchen. Just it, you can't. Uh, even the ones that have been successful for a while eventually just run out of steam. So you have to have something else, whether it's you're working with a local school that they're going to use it for extra class space to teach some food-based curriculum, or you're going to have office space and community space that they can come in and have town hall meetings, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe you have a little storefront on it that's going mm-hmm. to do more. Um, maybe you do. You have part of it that's built up specifically for co-packing mm-hmm. or processing for somebody else, but you have to have diverse revenue streams. Um, it's having grown up on, on farms and orchards, you know, if you have a bad summer and you have no strawberries, you dang well better have some pigs that you can send to the market right, or something. Right, right. So it's the same thing for these spaces. You mm-hmm. have to have, you have to have, figure out how much space you need for your community, how much mm-hmm. space you can use for storage, and then have that diversity that you don't depend on one sole stream. Mm-hmm. And and I would imagine you tell them that all this regulatory and business planning help that you do is is absolute necessity. Yeah. yeah, when somebody comes in, I um I send them a lot of attachments. Uh it's <laughs> I it's bet you do. Like 60 or so uh, 60. Different, yeah, different attachments that go to them. Um and I I've had people ask like why are you giving us all this stuff? I said, well, because it was a pain in the butt to get set up. Mm -hmm. It took a while to figure out a bunch of this stuff, and I wish somebody would have told me some of this when we first started out and said, hey, if you put these packets together, it'll make life easy. Or, hey, if you have this sheet for them to record this stuff, that'd be good. Or, you know, if you set up a Google Doc so that everybody can track when they're going to be in and out or when you have product orders coming in, you put what's going to come into that so that your bookkeeper then doesn't have to come and ask you every time. They can look at that Google Doc. It makes a huge difference. So I, I share it out. I said, here, this is going to save you hundreds of hours. Mm-hmm. The only thing I ask is you use that to help other people. It just makes right. life easier. Right. So that actually that, that prompted a question in my mind. Do you ever bulk buy for more than one of your members? Yep. You do do some of that. Yep. Yeah, the the bakery does massive bulk buying. Okay. And, I mean, they're buying four or 500 pounds of flour at a time and sometimes eight or 900 pounds of flour at a time. And so there will be people who only need little bits, so they can buy some from the bakery. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I have a case of pork coming in, and I know that three food carts need pork, right? So mm-hmm. I'm talking to them. It's like, so you're all kind of waiting, but you're all getting low on pork. We'll order one case, we split it out. You know, mm-hmm. we'll order a couple of cases of chicken, and most people use that. Uh, we'll get a case of romaine in. Well, it's twenty-four heads. No one's going to use twenty-four heads this week, but you all need eight heads. So great, the three of you now split a case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll do that kind of stuff, and it works out real well too. So one of the things that is so striking to me about listening to you is the degree to which. Um, you get involved in what I would call the minutia, but somebody has to. Like, in order to make this all work, it works best if somebody really is involved at that level. Yeah. um, You you have Like sharing a case of romaine, right? Right. Um, And I actually kind of feel bad because as we've grown, I don't know as much of what's going on on a day-to-day basis. Uh, When we first opened and we had, like, 15 members there, 
I knew everybody's schedule. I knew exactly what they were doing. I would go out and I could visit every one of the food carts when they were out working, that kind of stuff. But it's the way it grows. I mean, I've mm-hmm. managed I've I've managed the managers of nine companies before, things like that. So I know that you have to delegate. And that's where having like Chris Brockle there helps a ton. And now uh, Una McKenzie Green, who is our office manager and is, is taking over part of the newspaper. And we've, we got more and more people there. We have board members who are there on a regular basis. So we have more people that are touching everything, but they also are still letting me know a lot what's going on. Sure. Uh, it also helps having industry knowledge because I've been doing this for a couple of decades. So we'll have new members come in. They're like, well, I want to order some stuff, but can I just, can you give me the login and I can look at like the Reinhardt of the U.S. Foods or whatever catalog and I'll figure out what I need. I said, sure. Um, just so you know, Reinhardt's core catalog is 85,000 items with another 50 add-on, and U.S. Foods is 65,000 with 35,000 add-on. Oh. <laughs> like, why don't we sit down and you tell me what you're looking for, I'll and I know the jargon it. so right. I can help you find it, because right. it might not be listed exactly how you think it's going mm-hmm. to be. So a lot of that. But yeah, I also, I get, you know, they give us their their business plan synopsis, and everybody who starts there gets between 60 and 80 hours of my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sit down with them. We go through all the co- the contract stuff. But I'm also, before you even do that, I basically have a little interview with them. I ask them what you're doing. Why are you doing this? What are you hoping to accomplish? Why do you think this is a necessary thing? How can we help you? What, do you, what experience do you have already? Let's figure out how to make this work. And as they're going... They come in and sit down and talk to me more, and I go and talk to them. I, I spend a lot of time in the kitchen just BSing with people just to find out how they're doing, what they're doing, what we can do to help. If they're having frustrations, if they're having problems, mm-hmm. what what's causing it? Because I can't help them if I don't know what's going on. Right, right. So on top of all of that, you are now working on a, on a program called Market Ready here in the city. So um, tell us about that. So... Spring, summer of 2019, Madison is supposed to be opening its public market. Um, and so they want, they, there's a lot of, there are more food businesses in this area than you can shake a stick at. But they want to make sure that we have a good representation of the area. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're trying to work with small businesses that are immigrant, minority, women-owned, veteran-owned, that kind of thing. The, the groups that are kind of the fringe groups that a lot of them don't ever think about starting a business or even really know how to start a business or they can. Um, the, my line has been, there's going to be a lot of people who look like me at the public market. You can't see me on the uh, uh, listening. Uh, right. I'm 6'2", white, 40-year-old guy. Um, there's a lot of us mm-hmm. around. Um, so we want to work with the, the farmers out at the Farley Center. We want to get the Hmong farmers who are growing stuff and trying to figure out what to do with it. We want to work with the family that has these great recipes for empanadas that they've been handing down for generations. We want to work with the person that has, you know, they have a great pickled asparagus that they want to do, that kind of thing. And we want to teach them how to grow that business. So the city is putting $200,000 towards this, and they've actually gotten a couple of different grants in different neighborhood groups that are doing some support on it as well. And we're going to bring in a cohort of 30 businesses. Uh, we've, we've been taking applications for the past couple months, closes out next week, uh, and it looks like we're going to have somewhere between 65 and 75 applications. We're going to meet with every single one of them, and that'll be me and Ian Ailey, who uh, is a farmer out at the Fairley Center and is helping us. He's the second half of the coordinating team. Uh, well, second lead. We've mm-hmm. got a huge team helping us between... Um, 
WIBIC, the Wisconsin Women's Business Initiative Corporation, Wisconsin UW Extension, the multiple Chamber of Commerces, um, just a lot of people helping out with this. The city has some people, some great people helping us with it. And so the two of us are going to meet with every person individually or couple, business, whatever it is, interview them, find out if they, one, if they qualify for the program, and two, if they're if they're going to make it or if we think that they this is a good thing for them. Um, and we're going to winnow it down to 50 applicants and send that off to a committee made up of members of those partner organizations and some other like community centers and whatnot uh, who are going to then uh, get to meet all the people. And what we're working on, um, so 50... So you're going to actually interview 50... Yeah, well, we're gonna inter- we're gonna interview seventy five. You're gonna and then interview seventy five. Then those seventy five. I really do need to clone you, don't we? <laughs> yeah, those seventy five. Then, um, so we're we're making a video of how to write a basic business synopsis plan and another one of how to do an elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. And we're still kind of debating how exactly we're gonna do it. The thought right now is we're going to do an elevator pitch video with each of them, mm-hmm. three to five minute video that we can then send off to the committee so that everybody doesn't have to sit in the room to watch a three- to five-minute production. They can watch them in their free time, which none of these people have, but ostensibly in their free time. And then each one of those 50 businesses that we've run it down to is going to come in and meet with the committee to answer questions. So hundreds of hours of time over the next couple months. Once we're done with that, it's going to be dropped down to a cohort of 30, and of that 30, 15 of them are going to get funding. So the 30 will get an hour or more of my time every month. I believe they get an hour of Ian's time. We're going to have workshops that they can all participate. Um, they're going to have group activities where we you know, have people come in who are doing like-type things mm-hmm. and do little, little one-on-ones or five-on-ones or whatever it's going to be with them. Um, but then the 15 of that 30 that get funding, they're going to get partial funding because we know that to start a small business, like let's say you just want to start a basic business baking cream pies, that's mm-hmm. it. To get through from the time that you start and say, okay, this is what I'm going to name my business, get your LLC, get your your all these different things, getting all of your licenses setting up a Facebook page, possibly doing a web page, it's three to $5,000 for just the absolute basic before you buy a piece of equipment. Now, if you're a caterer, you've got another five to $10,000 in equipment, if not more, if you're going to buy a van. If you're a food truck, you're looking at $50,000. Just, I mean, you're... You so can, this is this is the numbers, I, I think, is uh, if, like the startup costs are something that people really don't understand when they think about food. And, and also when communities are thinking about starting their shared use k- kitchens yep. because they don't think about, oh, my God, all these people are going to need $15,000 or maybe even fifty. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. The, the thing that people don't like, okay, well, I, can, I found a food cart. I found one for $8,000 on Craigslist. on Craigslist. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got an $8,000 food cart on Craigslist. Oh, well, it needs a new pump for the sink. And, well, I have to the license it. The generator won't work. Oh, and yep, the I need medicine. a generator. Well, I, you know, what I want to do, I need a flat top. And it doesn't have a flat top. It just has a salad bar. So we need to put a salad bar in there. Oh, Oh, yeah, my Toyota Tercel won't pull that, will it? Mm-mm. I probably need to find a vehicle. And it has to be a vehicle that's reliable enough to be able to pull it every day without breaking down. Okay, well, now I have all that stuff. Oh, well, let's see. So I need to, I'm doing my LLC. That's $130. 
uh, I need to get my just my basic license. Well, so uh, there's actually two licenses because. And oh, by the way, card. you shouldn't. Uh, you file your LLC. You probably ought to talk to an attorney. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's on that. That's on the Oops. checklist. Talk <laughs> yeah. to an attorney. Talk to an attorney. Have an attorney. Could be have free. Have an accountant. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Go talk to Jeff Glazer at the law, law clinic, clinic because yeah. he's awesome. awesome. I love right. Jeff. I kind of want to just kidnap him and keep him in my office. I get it. Um, <laughs> he's a bit like you, though. Yeah, kind he's, of got like, he's got a list projects. like yours. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So now you've got, you've got this stuff started. Great. Well, now you need you need your two licenses. Okay. Well, that's going to be about twelve hundred dollars because you need a mobile vending license and a base license. Well, oh, you you're gonna try to get downtown on the square. Well. You have to enter the competition, and if you make it through the competition, it's $1,000 for the vending for that. Otherwise, you still have several hundred dollars in vending permits because every municipality has their own vending permit. You want to go into Middleton? Well, it's going to cost you $500. They don't want you there. Um, you know, mm-hmm. oh, go, go, go to Monona. It's $50. Oh, but if you're going to Monona and you want to do the Dream Park, you now have to get a background check because they require it. So that's going to take you a week. All right, now you have all of these. What you know? What else do you need? You need this permit. You need this. There's all these permits. I mean, it, the permits alone. It's kind of insane, yeah. actually. You have when to you, know. When you think about this, it's really insane. Yeah. Yep. I was doing some work on on-farm weddings to, to get a <laughs> barn is, is a similar gauntlet, plus public hearings and all kinds of things that are, uh, yeah. And sometimes it's just the fact that you have a surly neighbor that doesn't right, want you doesn't doing want it. Right, doesn't want you doing yeah. it, yeah. Oh, I yeah. just, you can see why we've bogged down the rate at which new businesses are yeah. starting when you look at all of this in, in food in particular because, yep. you, well... In part, you can kill people if food is bad, right. so I get it, but then I also don't get the, the just the layers of stuff that we've labored yeah. on. Well, and the toughest part is the fact that you, you have the, okay, so I'm going to start a food business. Well, I'll just go to the Department of Health, right? Because that's, that's obviously where yeah, I right. go. Yeah, right, you would that's think. That's where the health inspectors are. Right. So you go, and you're not going to the Department of Health. You're going to the courthouse, because mm-hmm. that's where you get all the forms. Mm-hmm. And you can't, I, I feel bad for the people at the courthouse because half their job is getting yelled at, mm-hmm. and the other half is giving people a form. Mm-hmm. And it's the, what do you want to do? Well, I want to start a food business. Here's the form. They go home. They start filling it out. They come back. This isn't the right form. Mm-hmm. I want to make jam. It doesn't say anything about jam on here. I don't know. I hand out forms. <laughs> right. So now they have to find out, who do I talk to? So then they're trying to get a hold of a health inspector. Like, oh, well, you actually have to talk to the Department of Ag about that. Because DATCAP, Ag Trade and Consumer Protection, that's who takes care of it. Where do I find that form? Right. Okay, I'll look at, online at their website. Well, DATCAP's website was designed Can't. by a dinosaur. <laughs> and he wasn't very web savvy <laughs> as it was. <laughs> it's just not real it's good. Really Public health has gotten better. You can actually fill out forms online. They're still all about 10 years behind. But part of it is because they have so much stuff. And it mm-hmm. changes so often. Mm-hmm. I said part of the fun part of my job is every year the food code changes. Every year I get to reread the food code. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wisconsin food code is not small. If you have insomnia, it will cure it. <laughs> it will cure it in a heartbeat. <laughs> but it changes. You, you just have to know what's going on with it. Mm-hmm. So these health inspectors all go off of it, but everybody's got their own little interpretations. And you can go into minutiae in different areas. So that's where it gets to be real fun. I mean, DATCAP takes care of anything that's packaged. So 
bakers with their cookies and cakes and whatnot that are going to be sold in a package. But if you're a baker and you're going to be catering things, that's a different license. Mm-hmm. It might be that you need both. Uh, and so then pub- do you have one of your wonderful flow charts for all of this? Like, are you a baker? Yes. Are, do you do packages? Yes. Yeah, I can just see it. Yes. Uh, it's the choose your own adventure of licensing. Okay. Um, yeah. It's not fully fleshed out yet because there's a lot to it, but I've got, you're I've got doing a nice it. Start. Yeah. I knew um, it. I just knew it given yeah. what you do. Yeah, it is. It's kind of fun, but it is the, there's so many different tangents to go down on it. I get it. Um, so it's getting, but getting yeah, the, too complicated. So just getting people started with that. And mm-hmm. it, it's kind of funny. Um, I've given the I've given the inspectors a hard time because I have had multiple people now over the past few years that have shown up and they're like, so I was at the Department of Ag and they told me, go talk to Adam because <laughs> he'll tell you what to do. <laughs> Because they weren't sure. They weren't sure. Like, oh, well, okay. and it, it actually, because they're the regulator, they can't tell you in right. a way. It's not it's not their role, and it's actually a conflict for them. And yep. it, that issue is um, is so difficult for people to understand, right, yep. that they, you can't be a regulator and a consultant to the, to the same company. So, yep. so okay, That's, with Market Ready, then, you're going to you're gonna have these 15 companies that have been selected. They're going to be in, a, in a, like an accelerator curriculum yep. kind of thing. Yep. We've built what we call a roadmap. Mm-hmm. Um, so the roadmap is, and the, the plan with the roadmap is eventually that everyone has it. Mm-hmm. I actually want to give it to Extension and tell them that they need to train people at all the Extension offices to oh, deal with yeah, this. Oh, yeah, I totally. And um, every single f- every single um, shared use kitchen. Yep. Yeah. And now we just have to figure out how to fund that. Uh, right. That's, I'm going to leave that up to you. You're the funding person. I am the um, money. <laughs> if it's about money, it's Tara. Yes. Uh, so Good finance. Uh, but the... Uh, um, yeah, they're, they're going to You get be... to put raising money into the every single one they're in this flow chart, oh, by the yeah. way. Yeah, because oh, if they don't have money, they're it's, dead. It's all throughout It's there. all without. Good, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah the, like, it keeps going back to spots. But the, the reason we're calling it a roadmap is a curriculum kind of says that you're doing a class, and we're not. We're helping people on a journey. Mm-hmm. And people are going to come in on that roadmap at all different points. You're going to have people who come in who have never started a business. They have no idea. They're going to go start at Go. Mm-hmm. Then we have people that, well, you know what? I've actually, I've had my own masonry business for years, but my knees don't like it anymore. I need to get out of it. But I also make sausages. And I, I've mm-hmm. actually won a couple of barbecue contests, you know, sausage contests or whatever, or, you know, everybody loves this. This is my, this is my abuela's famous sausage. Mm-hmm. So they know how to start a business. They know how to do bookkeeping. It might not be exactly the same, but they're a lot easier teachable. So we can skip some of those steps for them. There's also people that are going to start out, like they're starting five steps down, but they're going to have to go back later on because the roadmap's going to cross itself. It just does. It's the way things work out because now you think you've got everything figured out. Wait, we're expanding. Now we're going to go back to the getting financing right. part. So it was so funny, the lean business model canvas. I had um, some folks who were doing a program, and they're like, well, we're going to reorganize this. It's not linear. And I'm like, no, it it's can't. designed to be this way. Right. The lean business model canvas is not linear because starting a business is not, not linear. linear. Right. So, yeah, so these these guys are going to go through. We're going to have... We're going to have classes with them. We're, we're going to send them to the Edible Startup Summit. Mm-hmm. We're going to uh, you know pay for for them going through that. We're going to have them going through classes at Wibic with how to do QuickBooks, how to do cash flows, all that kind of stuff. We're going to have Score come in and do their the basics of business class with mm-hmm. them. Um, some of this will be at Feed. Some of it will be at other places. I'm going to be all over the place. We are like 
we just came from a meeting today where I said, I'm going to be spending half of my time at Wibbeck on the south side or a quarter time mm-hmm. there. I'm going to be spending time at Extension. I'm going to be spending time at Farley. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're dealing with Madison and the surrounding area. We're not just in Madison. And there's going to be farmers that they do not have the time to get off the farm right now. They need somebody to come out there and help them go through filling out paperwork and explaining what it is and explaining to them why they need to make time to get off the farm. Right. So we're going to be working with that. And then sometime next year, those 15 are going to represent. They're going to do a, like an advanced elevator pitch, have mm-hmm. more of a flushed out business plan, and five of them are going to get further funding. Mm. So the first funding is to help them kind of get started, get through the licensing process. And how process. much is the first funding? First funding is, I believe, it's five to $8,000. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we know, again, that's what it costs. That's what it costs, and if yeah. we can And we've been lucky that we've actually had some more funding. We've had groups that are like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's help you. So we're trying to figure out, do we give more funding to the 15 or do we expand it out and have funding going to more businesses. So we're still working on that. Um, but then the further funding, we're hoping to get them to about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars mm-hmm. for that five to help them if they're if they're building a food cart or if they're they're going to have that food stand in the mall because they do make abuelas empanadas and they're the mm-hmm. best and they're going to sell hot empanadas every day. Well, they need a hood. They need all that kind of stuff in the public market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so this was all inten- it was supposed to culminate in getting a spot in the public market, right? Yeah. The, and now the public market may be delayed, so they're gonna ha- they may have to start without it. Yeah. Maybe you're gonna have your own at feed. You'll have <laughs> you'll have the you know out in the parking lot. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be a tent. I don't uh, know. What we've kind of said all along is. No one is guaranteed a spot in the public market. You're going to have to apply, The lawyers have to, the the lawyers are looking, "Mm, come on. Uh, It's the same reason that we don't have knife kits in the kitchen at Mm -hmm, Feed. mm -hmm. We have magnet bars in every room. Right. And there's a whole lot of knives. It's a little intimidating, actually, if you look at my desk, because on the, as you're facing it, the left-hand wall is Is three racks of knives. Yeah. Um, But it's because the, the lawyers and the insurance agent said, you can have knives. You can lend them to people. You will not leave them in the kitchen. Like, right. Oh, fine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the you know it's the no one is guaranteed a spot in the public market. We're really hoping that anyone who go, finishes this, this program will apply sense. for the public market, and mm-hmm. this should give them a step up. Mm-hmm. The plan is that you're, we're helping people get ready for the public market. Right. But if somebody gets to the end of the process and they say, you know what? I don't want to be in the public market. Mm-hmm. I want to have a food cart. Maybe I'll come and vend there from time to time, but I'm going to do this. Or I really, I, you know what? I was wrong. I need to be a caterer. I right. need to do this. Um, we're not going to punish them and say, oh, right. nope, sorry, Good. you have to be there. So um, are you going to be helping them since we do have a plethora of food, everything in Madison? You're going to help them do something that's defensively unique? Yes. As opposed to uh, just their greatest idea from their grandmother. Yeah. So one of the things this morning that I was working on is we're doing a score sheet for picking out the business. Sure. And that's actually... Criteria number number one or two. Criteria number one is, is your business viable and defensible? Mm -hmm. Criteria number two, what makes your business different from every other business in Mm -hmm. the area? Perfect. You just have to ask them that. And then number three is... 
can you actually make money at your right, business? Right, right. So. I should have taken a picture of this. So um, I was went to visit my daughter in the Amazon in Ecuador one uh, several times, actually. And it was such a great example of entrepreneurial behavior because... In, because um, the first year I went there, there was one vendor of street vendor of sugar cana, right at where you switch buses. Every time, every year I went there, there was a, there were at least another two, and they were doing the same thing. And so by the time it was like ten of them selling <laughs> sugar cane, you know, it's like really <laughs> you couldn't have some something different. Yeah. It's such a one funny. Of you couldn't serve like. Meat on a stick? Right, anything, anything. <laughs> it's such an interesting thing about people. They look around and say, oh, that's a, I see somebody else doing that. That's a really good idea. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it better instead of what are you going to do that's completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, I've had that discussion, I don't know how many times, with people coming in to do food carts. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to do this. Okay. Well, why do you want to do that? Well, because if you go to Library Mall, there's six food carts that are making good money doing that. Uh-huh. So is the seventh food cart going to make good money doing that? Oh, I don't know. Well, so do you want to do that because you think it's going to make money, or do you want to do that because it's something you want to do? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. actually, I mm-hmm. want to do, you know, I want to do Puerto Rican fusion. Okay, great. There, are, mm-hmm. there aren't very many Puerto Rican fusion places, mm-hmm. and there's a, a good Hispanic community. Do you think they'd eat it? Well, when we have family get-togethers or when we have stuff at the church, everybody likes it. Okay. Now we're on to let's, something let's, potentially. Yeah, yeah, now let's go out and let's ask some mm-hmm. people. Let's do a little survey mm-hmm. with people. Let's make up some samples and let's take it places and try it. Oh, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it is the, well, if they if it worked for them, it should work for work me. Work for me. I know. Always it's it's like way. the herd mentality. Yeah. So, okay, so I'm going back here. If I could summarize for the for the um, business model for, for Feed Kitchen, then it was... If you were to do it now, you think two point one million to do that business, and yep. uh, and that's how many square feet? Fifty four hundred. Fifty four hundred square feet, and it includes a whole bunch of kitchen spaces and storage yep. and stuff. So, um, and I should say too, we realized after we built it, we we forgot a couple things. We didn't put in a janitor's closet, so mm. we have two really beautiful credenzas, nice wood credenzas that we picked up from Swap. And if you're starting a small business, Swap is your best friend. Mm -hmm. It's amazing what you can get at Swap. These two beautiful credenzas, one of them has hand towels, and one of them has paper towels. <laughs> there you go. Paper in it. Perfect. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Janitor's closet. Um, all right. So so that's how much it costs. And what what um, fee for service level? Now, you were at $1.4 million in investment. Yep. What? And you have how many staff, paid staff? Uh, well, <laughs> when we first opened, me. Uh, right. Um, I get it. About a year and a half ago, it went up to now there's, I'm full-time, uh, Chris Brockle's 20 hours a week for feed. Mm-hmm. We have an office manager uh, a, and a bookkeeper who both split their time between, they're full time, but they split, or well, the bookkeeper's 30 hours a week. Um, they split their time between feed, the NPC, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So figure there's another half time employee there. Mm-hmm. We have a half time janitor, uh, and we're going to be adding on one half time facility maintenance, so janitor kind of overseer. Uh, so, so it's like th- three and a half full-time equivalent. Half. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then oh, utilities and that and that sort of thing. And and so at one point four, three and a half full-time equivalents. You think your your um, operating revenue for a year is 
Just last year it was about 196. This year it'll be about 275. 275. Yep. And then, um, and break even if you if I'm in, you're at 80 percent at 275 or. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you, it's probably 300 and some. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And you're providing a lot of technical assistance. You're pro, you have yep. a lot of vendors in there, but the and um, the scale. So how scalable is this? Like if, you know, going back to that little small community, it basically has a church basement that wants to do something or, um, you know. It's definitely scalable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be a one-to-one. Uh, right. You, you know, the, I'm working on a project in Milwaukee right now. And Milwaukee is, you know, three to time, four mm-hmm. times bigger. Right. Um, we're starting out with a 2,100 square foot space. It's also very c- local to its own communities, though. And that's you know? why. Yeah. So the area we're at will hit about five to six neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting with 2,100 square feet. We're not doing nearly as ambitious for, for equipment and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's going to be set up that they can have about 15 businesses working there on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's smaller businesses, maybe 25 if they're in less. Um, but I, I kind of put it at the analogy of, so where I grew up, I went to the same elementary, junior high, and high school all the way through. It was the same, same building, just different parts of it. Uh, if you went into Sturgeon Bay, they had you know elementary school, then a middle sure. school, then high school. Around here, you've got a thousand elementary schools mm-hmm. leading up to four high schools, right. right? So what we're building there, feed is kind of the... K through eight or mm-hmm. K through six. Mm-hmm. Um, the the space that we're doing in Milwaukee is like the K through three. Mm-hmm. It's the, we're going to get people started. We're going to teach them. These are the basics of getting a business started. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to work with other parts of the, the community to build some bigger, more like middle school areas. Because high school is you have your own place. Right. Um, and so that's what we're working on there and actually have, and now talking to... Are you going to be doing bakery there too? Like bakery and yep. non-bakery? And yep, doing some small-scale bakery, mm-hmm. um, doing setting it up for caterers and food carts somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of looking at, okay, well, if we're going to build out, maybe we build one space that's more all towards bakery. Right. And one that's more towards the food carts. Mm-hmm. Because the jack-of-all-trades, like we have, works. But if you can do a little bit more specific. It's Specialization, man, is uh, defensively huge. unique. So I don't think there is a single gluten-free facility in the state. All these nope. feed kitchens, and there's not a single gluten-free nope. facility. I was just talking to somebody about that on Friday. It makes me um, want to cry. I know. There's There are places that do gluten-free by shutting down everything for a couple of days. I yeah, mean, but then you can't call yourself a certified gluten-free right. facility. Um, you, can, you can get certified gluten status by getting tested, but it's three parts of gluten per million. I know. It's, and, in, it's literally impossible. Right. I, when I've had somebody say, well, I'll do the testing and everything. I said, I'm going to tell no, you, you right won't. now, You'll fail. the air in my office mm-hmm. at feed is more than three parts per million. Mm-hmm. Just the, the breathable air. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's something that we talked about. It's the, if you're going to do a, a gluten-free facility, where do you put it? Mm-hmm. And I said Johnson Creek or O'Connell Walk mm-hmm. because you're halfway between Milwaukee and Madison. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think you do a ton with it. But gluten free, <laughs> take the the 1.4 that we started with. Oh yeah, and and, and increase it. increase that at mm-hmm. least 
you know, half again as much, mm-hmm. uh, just because there's so much more. You have to have extra scrubbers and everything, but it is something that I think you're going to see. Um, and it's thing. probably got to be a K through six or eight kind of facility because oh, yeah. we don't want to have a lot of them. No. Yeah. No, it's, but, it's definitely going to have to be I'm kind of like, you know, to be in the food business and be successful, you got to be able to get places. Like, you yep. know, Madison is rarely enough, right. Milwaukee's ra- rarely enough sales to sustain a reasonable, I mean, any kind of food company right. that's not losing money. So if you're, if you're a food cart, you can do it because you're mobile, yeah. you go around. But if you're a sauce maker or you're a baker, unless you have like a very niche thing that you're making or you have your very own storefront that that's all you do, yeah, you're Clausen's and different. you're doing that. Yeah. But if you are baking and you're selling wholesale especially, mm-hmm. you have to be able to expand. You just yeah. do. And that's, again, this is one of the things as I'm, I'm sitting down and consulting with people, it's the, you have to grow. Mm-hmm. I understand that you're so happy you got into one store, but by the end of the year, <laughs> we're going to have you in 12. Yeah. I just had, to, had this conversation last week and I thought that the lady was going to pass out. Right. She's like, I can't do 12 stores. I said, you're right. You can't. Not by yourself. But here's what we're going to do. We're mm-hmm. going to get your recipes fully like written down, figured out, scaled where they need to be. And then we are going to, you're going to hire somebody mm-hmm. to help you or two or three people, or you're going to find a co-packer. And then you are going to be going out. You're going to be meeting with the buying agents and you're going to be doing demos at the store. And you're going to be the happy, smiling face that people see. And then we're going to spread you. And then we're going to go regional because you're going to get into uh, Woodman's or you're going to get into a festival. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to go all the way up and down the Fox Valley, or you're going to go into Iowa and she said, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. I said, well, it's either that or in two years you won't have a business because you can't just do sauces at one store. He, it's music to my ears, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because, yeah, it's I, people never – it's really hard for a startup food company entrepreneurs to get their head around how big they need to be to make yep. this – not just a hobby and make it a business. And I don't care if people have food hobbies. Um, right. I just, I look at them and, and know that they're, they're selling 15,000 and losing 10 in cash. And that, that bothers me because yeah. of some of the populations we're talking about. You so look at companies that you think are little companies. Like I, again, I'm going to use some door County references. There's Winkies, uh, Winky's Market. Winky's mm-hmm. is halfway between Algoma and Sturgeon Bay. Mm-hmm. And it's this nice farm and they, you know, they make pies and they make pickles and they make stuff. If you go down to Janesville, go down to Beloit on your way going down to Rockford, there are Winky's pickles and pie fillings and stuff at the cheese shops down there. Yeah, isn't that and something? You look at around here, you have like Quince and Apple. Oh, Quince and Apple is a great little Madison mm-hmm. company. You go anywhere in the state to a specialty shop, there are Quince and Apple. Well, anywhere there. in the country, honestly. Yeah. That's yeah. and that's what it has. That's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like every, every, it, it works in everything. Cheese, you can you can't do. We don't have enough do people here. Local I, I, cheese, no. it doesn't work. No, you have to be regional. I mean, again, Renards out of Door County. They drive a van down here five days a week to mm-hmm. Madison and drive a van to Milwaukee and I believe they're going to Chicago. You just have to. And, I mean, cherry orchards in Door County are driving mm-hmm. all over the region. They're at the markets in Chicago every single week because they know, even though they have, they've branded it so, they've done an amazing mm-hmm. job for years branding the Door County cherry. Mm-hmm. But if they don't go out, they die. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. 
So you have a really unique background because you grew up on a farm and you had a restaurant and now you're doing this amazing, amazing work at Feed Kitchen. Have we missed anything in all of this? Or maybe I just um, need to have you come back. I, actually, I think I should have you come back after Market Ready gets a yeah. little bit more... Yeah, you know, further year, down the road, and absolutely, it. and so yeah. start talking about some of the things that are coming out of it. Uh, I don't sleep because sleep is. I was going to say, time. my um, God, I've got a three-year-old, so that helps a lot with oh, that. Oh, right, um, uh, another uh, time <laughs> sink. Holy, and, and then when I do have spare time, I do food business consulting besides it feeds. Right, so right. I, I go out and I, I. Last year, I helped open a brew pub, and uh-huh. uh, uh, when people are, I. I get referred when people are having problems like who do we're trying to open our restaurant and we don't know who to talk to. We don't know who to talk regu- mm-hmm. regulation wise. I go in for a day and help mm-hmm. them figure out who they need to talk to at the state, make connections, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So, and I work the farmer's market on the weekend because again, you know, sleep is overrated. Sleep is overrated. Um. <laughs> well, I think, you know, there's always, there, there's a, there, we have an incredible ecosystem of, of food people in this state, right? And incredibly gifted people. But you're definitely one of the people we're really lucky to have in this state. And well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to stay in touch. Oh, definitely. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming down. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. Thank you.